You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. This episode is brought to you by the McKinsey Global Institute. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Simon London, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the defining features of our age, globalization. In other words, the international movement of goods, services, money, and increasingly data across borders. To discuss the issues, I'm joined from Washington, D.C. by Susan Lond, a partner with the McKinsey Global Institute. Thanks for being with us, Susan. Thanks. Happy to be here. And we're also joined from Brussels by Jacques Bougain. Jacques is a McKinsey partner and also a member of MGI's Global Council. Thanks for joining us, Jacques. Thank you. So let's dive in. Uh, clearly, we've been living through an era of unprecedented globalization. Uh, we're going to talk in a minute about the, the changing trends and pattern. But before we do that, um, Susan, why don't you just step back, uh, give us a 20, 30-year view. What's been going on? Well, the world economy today is more interconnected than it's ever been. If you look back 25 years to 1990, we see that the value of global trade in goods, services, and flows of finance together added up to about 25% of global GDP. If you fast forward to today, that's worth nearly 40% of global GDP. So more countries are connected around the world, and the connections between countries are deeper. To give a very concrete example, consider the movement of people. Back in 1990, there were 400 million foreign trips abroad taken every year. That would include business travelers, tourists, as well as students studying abroad. Today, that number's over 1.1 billion. Today, we find, for instance, that emerging markets are involved in more than half of global trade transactions for the first time in history. All of this is added to global prosperity and value added. We calculate that over the last 10 years, the openness to global flows has raised world GDP by at least 10%. That's worth $7.8 trillion in 2014 alone. Let me just jump in here because that's a really interesting point. Um, there's always a lot of debate about whether globalization is a good thing. Um, how actually does the global trade in goods and services and, and the movement of people, how does that add to global growth and prosperity? Really, the benefits of globalization and interconnectedness is that it increases the ability of companies to get the best talent, the best ideas, the best inputs from anywhere in the world. It enables countries to specialize in what they do best. Uh, and it overall increases competition for companies. This causes them to become more efficient, to raise their productivity, to innovate new products and services. And all of this together then drives economic growth. What's really interesting about the phenomenon today is that all of this has been happening now for many years, but now we add digital technologies to the mix. And this is amplifying the impact of other types of global flowers and enables all of this to happen at a much more rapid pace and a much more global scale. So thank you, Susan. That's a really good segue to, to Jacques. Um, Jacques, why don't you just give us a sense of what we find in the latest uh, MGI research on global flows. Uh, I know the mix has been changing here and, and data is playing a much bigger role. Um, how is globalization changing now? 
the mix has dramatically changed. No surprise, global financial flows collapsed since the crisis. But much more interestingly, global trade in goods is essentially flat, while the global data flows have exploded. It had exploded in any type of measures we can imagine. If we, if we measure it by terabits of data per second, it's up by at least 45 times in less than 10 years. That explosion of data contributes a significant amount to the GDP growth, as Cesar has said. We estimate this to be up to 3 trillion of GDP elements added to the global economy uh, in 2014. Actually more than what is accounted by the trade in goods. An amazing impact if you think that data flows have been emerging in less than 20 years, where trade of flows have been there for at least 200 years. Okay, so before we delve deeper into the, the digital aspects of globalization, uh, I just want to go back to something that you said there, Jacques, which um, uh, potentially is, is quite epoch-making. Um, so have we actually reached peak trade in uh, international trade of physical goods? Because if we have, that's, uh, that's quite something, isn't it? Well, it's actually a bit of a puzzle uh, for economists, and it's had many people scratching their heads. What we saw for about 20 years, or even 30 years, from 1985 to 2007, is that the global trading goods grew twice as fast as world GDP year on year. And as a result, it rose from 13% of global GDP up to a peak of 26% of global GDP in 2007. And then since a great recession, of course, there's a big slowdown in trade, but it's never really recovered. We had a bit of a bounce back, but since then it's been flat. So the volume of trade is actually still growing slowly, uh, but measured in comparison to the size of the world economy, it's actually been down. We think there are a couple factors at play. One is clearly cyclical. There's weak demand in the U.S., in Europe, in Japan, slowing growth in China, and all this results in lower trade. There's also been a collapse in commodity prices, which lowers the value of traded commodities in oil and gas around the world. However, we don't think that this is a purely cyclical effect, and we don't expect trade to bounce back to its previous growth rates. This is because when we work with companies around the world, we see a structural change in decisions on where production should be located. Quite simply, labor costs are no longer the most important factor cost for most types of manufacturing. There are still some goods like textiles and shoes and toys that depend very heavily on wage costs, but for most kinds of manufactured goods, other things are more important. For instance, speed to market, energy costs, the quality of talent, the quality of infrastructure. And all this means that global value chains are being reconfigured and there's more production closer to the end consumer. We see this in the US, we also see it in China and other emerging economies. Then when we look ahead at the impact that 3D printing and other new technologies may have, we think that 10 years out there could be some global trade in goods that will be replaced by these technologies. Already, there are some companies and organizations using 3D printing, for example, to print replacement parts for operations around the world rather than manufacturing goods in one place and shipping the replacement parts. Okay, so let's go back to the digital piece of this. 
Um, clearly a, a huge explosion of international data flows, but what's driving it? Uh, Jack, maybe you could uh, unpack that for us. Uh, yes. Uh, in fairness, when we say that the data flows were exploding, we were measuring that in bits. And obviously, like you and me, seeing that uh, the number of bits that we are using with our internet connection has been increasing by day. But this being said, there's just a lot of bits going on internationally. Now, uh, first observation is not only about individuals being more connected. Yes, of course, a lot of people, up to 900 mil uh, million people, have international connection on social media. But what is more interesting from an added value perspective on the economy is that a lot of the activities linked to data is actually linked to uh, trade, services, and obviously exchange of ideas and uh, innovation across companies. So if I take the very first one, we notice that between 10 to 15% of the global goods trade is actually made of e-commerce. If you look at B2B e-commerce, the ratio is possibly 20 to 25% of the total side of it. So adding the flattening of the trade of goods with the digitization of the trade of goods, the non-digital trade of goods is actually not only peaking, but even, I conjecture, declining. A lot of services are themselves extremely digitized. In fact, 50% of the world trade in services is digital. Think simply the number of payment services that you do across countries is obviously digital. Now, individuals are connecting, but we have a so interesting observation coming from a report. The very first one is that we've got major internet companies. And if you look at the globalization of these internet companies, roughly 50% of what they do, whether you count them in businesses, whether you count that in terms of uh, individual connected and so on, 50% uh, of what they do is actually globalized outside of their country of origin. So it's a pretty complex phenomenon, I think, is, is part of what we're saying here. Uh, increasingly, uh, trade of physical goods will have a digital component. There's trade in services. There's flows of finance. Um, there's uh, individuals on social media. There's just a whole component, uh, a whole set of components uh, that are adding up to this uh, this big explosion of, of data across borders. I think you know the interesting question uh, arising from that is what are the effects? Actually, how is this? changing the global economy and how is it changing the nature of globalization? Um, Susan, do you want to take a, a stab at that? Well, what we see is a massive democratization of the global economy. It used to be the case that globalization was really driven by large multinational corporations, mainly from Western countries. Today, however, because of digital platforms, you see small businesses around the world and even startups can participate directly in globalization. So for instance, there are 50 million small businesses now on Facebook. That's twice the number of two years ago. And this gives them a platform for finding customers around the world. We find that 30% of the fans of these small businesses on Facebook are from other countries. We see, for instance, that Alibaba in China has 10 million small and medium-sized enterprises that sell products to the rest of the world through its platform. 
Amazon has 2 million small businesses. So around the world, we're finding that smaller companies can gain scale and reach customers anywhere through these digital platforms. We did a survey of startups and found that 86% of technology startups around the world today are creating their business for a global market. This means that they either have customers in other countries or they're getting funding from other countries or they have mentors and advisors or are hiring talent from other countries. So from day one, they're not thinking, I'm a Dutch company, I'm a Swedish company, I'm a Chinese company. They're thinking they're a global company from day one. So let's move on to the implications of all of this. Maybe let's start with governments. Um, the nature of globalization is changing. Digital globalization is becoming a much more important force in the economy. If I'm a national government, what should I be thinking about? There's a whole new arena of digital policy that now needs to be addressed. One of the things we find in our research is that although more countries around the world are connected to the global economy, only a few countries are really highly connected. So there's a huge opportunity for most countries to do more to participate in these global flows. And for emerging economies, it's particularly important. We find that countries on the periphery of the global data network actually benefit more from cross-border data flows than countries at the center. So this means you don't need to build the next Silicon Valley to benefit in the new digital era of globalization. But you do need the digital infrastructure in place. So in addition to building the physical infrastructure like roads and ports and airports, it's really important for all countries to have in place a good digital infrastructure. So internet access, broadband access, and reasonable prices for people to access this. We also need digital literacy skills. We need people around the world to be able to have the skill to participate in this digital economy. And again, it's a real challenge for emerging economies that already have so many development needs on their plate. This is another one. But if they don't meet it, they risk falling further behind. For all countries, it will be important to figure out how they want to play in the set of global flows. You can look at a country like Singapore, which is really quite a small country, has very few natural resources, small population, and yet it is at the top of our MGI Global Connectedness Index because it's had in a very explicit strategy, first to become uh, decades ago, a regional hub in the trade of goods. Then it's built a financial hub for, the, for Southeast Asia and a business service hub, and it's attracted foreign talent. So by leveraging global flows, it actually has great economic power for a country that is very small and wouldn't be thought of as a world power without that. You just want to say a few words about the Connectedness Index? Uh, this is something that MGI has put together a couple of times now. Um, tell us, we, we do do this ranking of, of different countries and how connected uh, they are across a number of these different measures. Just talk, talk us through a few highlights around the, the ranking and the methodology. So we rank countries on the inflows and outflows of goods, services, finance, uh, people, and data. And we weight each of them equally. So there are a couple different metrics and 
indices of globalization out there, but we think ours captures both the last era of globalization, so trading goods and services and finance, but importantly, we give weight to the new cross-border data flows as well as flows of people. And when we do this ranking, we find that this year, Singapore is at the top of the list as the most globally connected economy. It's followed by the Netherlands, United States, and Germany. In general, emerging economies are less connected, but we find that across all countries, it's actually the case that less than 10 countries around the world are really highly connected on our index, and the scores for other countries trail off really rapidly. So there's a big opportunity for both other advanced economies as well as developing countries to do a lot more to participate in global flows. Susan, on the connected uh, index and the fact that uh, it trails very quickly down for some countries, we in fact measure all these global flows linked to GDP and the total gap to the best frontier is as much as a 10% contribution today of those flows to the global economy. In fact, we estimate the potential to reach the frontier to be up to 10 trillion of GDP, a staggering number. So in other words, the global economy is $10 trillion smaller than it could be if there was greater connectedness and more countries opened up to globalization, both physical services, digital people, and so on. Is that right? Yes, indeed. So let's turn our attention to uh, business executives. Uh, if I'm a, a business person listening to this podcast, okay, I get globalization is changing. Uh, digital globalization is becoming much more important. What does that mean to me in practical terms? How should I be thinking about my digital strategy and organization and so on? Well, the first point is about your competition, your competitor sets. Uh, given globalization coming from pretty much everywhere, the key question is to say, who are my competitors? This used to be pretty much multinational against multinationals and global supply chain. Now it's changing to be small, medium enterprise starting to leverage global platforms to compete. Now, I don't want to think only on competitors as a threat. There is abusing opportunity as for every company to start jumping on those digital flows. As small medium enterprise, they can start to export to many more countries than they could do before. And in fact, an interesting fact again that we gather from studying those flows, uh, the geography of trade tend to be extremely concentrated. Usually, trades start to go down by a factor of two every 100 kilometers away from where you stand. With digital flow, we find that this elasticity of trade has been cut by half, which means that people can go twice further in terms of geography of trade. Globalization is not only a threat, it's actually a major opportunity. In addition, in the new digital era, companies are completely rethinking their global footprint and organization. So globalization used to be about a company would take its operations and it would replicate it in each region and maybe even country around the world. So you would have human resources and accounting and legal services and product development taking place in different replicas around the world. Well, now, because of digital platforms and communication, companies can actually just centralize all of their back office operations into single 
global hubs, one or several. So they can put R&D in one or two places, all of HR in one place. So this is a huge shift in the global footprint of different companies. But because of digital communication strategies, they can operate this way much more efficiently. Digital should not be thought through as international or global. It starts with being digital in the first place, whether it's for uh, exports or for the domestic market. You need to have the right assets and the right capabilities. My experience with clients is that while they start to invest, while they start to consider investing in capabilities, uh, still today they face a major challenge. They face challenge of having human capital and big data uh, uh, capabilities. Uh, they start to realize how difficult it is to scale IT big data investments to work with these digital capabilities. And on the right asset, uh, they still have to consider how they will develop their own technology platform, their own data center to go and start to connect both with their suppliers and their customer. It's a big challenge, but again, the payoff, as we have seen just on the global scale, are just tremendous. Thank you, Jacques, and thank you, Susan. Uh, to find the McKinsey Global Institute's latest research on global flows, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.